real good. Oh, I, I really misheard that. I thought, <laughs> I thought you said your, I thought you said your friend is about to die. I'm like, you're pretty cavalier about that. That too. I heard the same thing. And I'm like, she seems really happy. It's been a long time. Coming. My friend's about to die. <laughs> okay. Is he his name Donald Trump or something? You're so happy about it. It's another episode of Uncle Weepy's Depression Dungeon. With your hosts, Joy Moeller, Paul Armstrong, and Jeremy Fuchsa. So what you're saying is that any minute now you'll just no. be gone from the show. No, it's not any minute. All right, That's halfway so through, gonna... <laughs> when, when, when the conversation gets good, you're going to drop out. Well, I mean, I can switch it. You just... My audio will just sound different, but we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see yeah. what happens. It's gonna it's it's gonna be a good day for the for the show. We have another guest, and so yes, yes, this is an exciting guest. We have with us Doctor Don Schaffner, the internet's favorite food scientist. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I might be the one of the only food scientists on the internet. So but that, that makes it easy for you to be the favorite. What Jerry Garcia said was, "You don't want to be the best at what you do. You want to be the only one that you that does what you do." And so I'm probably at least one of two podcasting food scientists. Well, maybe three. Yeah, but there's not too many of us. It's a small world. It's small but rich with with information. I'm happy to have you here, and we'll just kind of just see where we go as we jump off the diving board. So, Joy, what are you doing? I got it. I haven't had lunch yet. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, it's okay. Okay. It's open. Okay. All right. Joy, you enjoy your sounds kind of like if I'm getting my crinkles just right, it yeah. feels kind of like bones. Mm, no, no. I was thinking more of like like a like a like a hostess cupcake. What? Oh, we're doing guess the sound. <laughs> yeah, you know that was sure. definitely a water bottle opening. Okay. Ooh, it was not. Okay, Your that's what it sounded like to me. Let's get back to the doctor. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> no, we're going to waste your battery on pointless things. <laughs> I have a question. Oh. Is Joy always like this? <laughs> Try to be. <laughs> Very much so, but it's what makes the show so endearing. That's what it is. People show up for the banter, but they stay for the joy. That's for sure. <laughs> That's so nice. That was well. That was well put. I like that. That was really well said. Probably not true. Joy, I know you've probably got a million questions, and I'm just. Well, we just know. need to start with an introduction. You, you go ahead and go. You need to tell us, Mister <laughs> Doctor Don, what you're a doctor of and why you do what you do and what you do. Oh, uh, well, I would be delighted. So I, I have a, a PhD in food science, actually food science and technology, which I earned from the University of Georgia. Uh, go dogs! I think that's a football thing you're supposed to say. If you're from Georgia, I'm not really quite sure. But uh, yeah, I've been a faculty member at Rutgers University for over 30 years. I'm a food microbiologist. We do research in, in all kinds of food safety. My claim to fame is quantitative microbial risk assessment and predictive food microbiology. But I'm probably best known for the work that we've done on hand washing and cross-contamination. So we've sort of brought a, a quantitative approach to uh, studying that. And lately, what I seem to be doing is talking to a lot of people about COVID-19 and whether you can get it from food or how to be safe in restaurants. I, I did a quick uh, email interview with with a newspaper reporter who was asked to do a story about food critics that are now not going to sit down restaurants because they they feel that they don't want to expose the employees of the, the of those
those restaurants to themselves should they be asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic for COVID-19. So anyway, that's been that's been my life. As I like to explain to people, I've been doing basically two full-time jobs uh, since the pandemic. I've been doing my regular food safety job and this new COVID-19 job. But that's really good because the university has a huge budget shortfall. And I figure if I'm doing the work of two people, they could fire me and I could still get the salary of one. There you go. <laughs> wow. I can't believe that Jeremy and Paul know people like this, like you. It's impressive. <laughs> He's been a Twitter follower of mine for a number of years now. And so I've been fascinated by all of his insights and the information. And, and he's also very good at having explanations for things that, that are good for lay people. But I mean, you know, it's, I mean, food science and food safety, it's definitely something that everybody needs to know yeah. something about. And so, yeah, it's very good. I guess my question would be, and I, I know the distinction from this, but I think a lot of people may not. Like, what would make you say that you're different than a nutritionist? Because I know a lot of people listen to them for their food information. That's a really good question. The other thing, too, I, I will say uh, part of my job is a little bit different than what most people think a university professor's job is because I have uh, what is called a cooperative extension or extension specialist job, which means that I don't actually teach in the classroom like normal students. I mean, I have graduate students and I give guest lectures and things like that. But the teaching that I do, I do for people in the food industry. I do it by talking with newspaper reporters. I do it by having a podcast. I do it by being guests on other people's podcasts because you are my audience, right? Right? And your audience members are my audience. And so my job is to basically do research, but also to communicate the results of that research or, or other research out to the general public. And so I look for opportunities to do that. But how am I different from a nutritionist? Well, I have colleagues in the nutritional sciences department at Rutgers that also have a cooperative extension appointment and they focus more on like healthy eating, right? Like how to eat foods that are healthy for you. But there is some overlap, some folks that do work in nutritional sciences. I have a, a colleague, Carol Bird Breadbatter, and she's done some food safety research. So, so people that, that are in nutritional sciences do sometimes do food safety stuff. I've got a couple of colleagues, one who studies vitamin A metabolism in rats, but she's in the food science department. So there is some overlap and there's some differences, but I would say the primary difference is the nutrition people sort of focus on nutrients, the good things in food, and people like me, the food safety people, we focus on bad things that shouldn't get into food like like bacteria and viruses. Which is why you're busy right now, I would assume. A little bit, little bit busy. This has been a busy day. I've actually gone from meeting to meeting and an impromptu meeting with a food company that's having a little bit of an issue. And it's weird. Like There are days when it's very quiet and I just get tons of stuff done. And then there's other days like this where it's like I just run from one thing to the next, trying to put out fires and not get too far behind on email, and then ready just like for tomorrow to hopefully not be too busy a day. But I couldn't even tell you what's on my calendar because I'm not ready to look at it. I would imagine with extension appointments and talking with companies, I'm sure that you have probably spoken to meat processing companies and things like that. How has this as far as you can say, kind of change maybe the dynamic of how you work with companies like that. So I've done more research actually with ag producers, like farmers who grow vegetables and, and fruits and things like that, less work with meat. One of the thing about extension specialists is we kind of, not not exclusively, but but to a certain extent, focus on the needs of our state. My program spans the world, and I work with many different commodities, and, and we've done research on meat and and fruits and vegetables, and you know you name it, right? We, we've done research on it. But I would say, in terms of COVID nineteen, not a, a ton of work with the meat industry. Although actually, um, my food safety talk podcast partner Ben Chapman just spearheaded the submission of a grant proposal, which will hopefully be funded, which is going to look at 
COVID-19 research and communications across the food industry. And we brought in a friend of ours from uh, Nebraska, Byron Chavez, who's a faculty member out there who, because he's in Nebraska, does a ton of work with the meat industry. That's so a stereotype. I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. from Nebraska. <laughs> meat and corn. Well, <laughs> Just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's true. Like That's the nature of land-grant universities, right, is we tend to focus on commodities that are important in our state. It's a bit of a stereotype that my friend from Florida works on oranges, but guess what? They have oranges in Florida. So you would love Byron. He, he is not your stereotypical meat scientist by, by, any, by any means. <laughs> I would love to have that title, meat scientist. It just mm-hmm. feels it feels like one. Not only are you smart, but you get to eat a lot of hamburgers and stuff for science. You know, mm. it also sounds like the name of a porn movie. Jeez, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I would assume right now you're looking at is the virus dangerous on our food? Because I know a lot of people have asked that. I've even wondered that. Like, I'm getting pizza takeout or other delivery foods. I know that it's an aerosol, airborne thing, but those things land somewhere. Early on in this pandemic, they talked about having to wipe down services because we didn't know much. Not saying that any of it was wrong. It was precautionary and good. But are, are you a part of that kind of research of learning whether those airborne aerosols are living on food, like in lettuce and stuff? Yeah. So what, that's one of the things that we hope to do if this grant proposal gets funded. But right yeah. now, as far as we know, there really is no potential for foodborne transmission of COVID-19. And there's a wonderful article, which is from my my colleagues at the New Zealand Food Safety Science and Research Center, where they did an extensive literature review basically to say that, I mean, it's hard to prove a negative, right? But basically to say that we think the risk from food is very, very low. And we know that certainly a significant number of cases come from symptomatic individuals, right? Someone coughing or sneezing who has the virus, who's around other people, right? We also now have realized that there's also a rather significant number of people who are maybe asymptomatic, but certainly pre-symptomatic, that is not yet sick with the virus, who are able to spread the virus. There was a big outbreak linked to a choir practice up in Washington State. Think about it. You're sitting there for a couple of hours, breathing in and breathing out to do all your singing. Excellent opportunity for virus transmission. The extent to which the virus is spread by inanimate objects or what an epidemiologist would call a fomite does seem to be rather limited. So I've been really trying to pay attention to this and look for articles in the literature. I've only been able to find one definitive article, which was a situation where a couple traveled from Wuhan, China to a church in Singapore and attended the morning church service, and then they left. And then another individual came to the prayer service after the the morning service, and they know from CCTV, sat in the same seat as these two other individuals. A couple days later, the couple got sick with COVID-19, and then probably 10 or 12 or 14 days later, this other individual developed COVID-19. That's the only documented case. I'm not saying it can't happen, but that's the only documented case I've seen. And that actually, a colleague of mine from Rutgers, who I don't know, but who wrote a really nice opinion piece in Lancet that was just published, basically laying out the fact that evidence is really pretty clear that, that fomites do not result in any significant amount of virus. And then now you go to food, well, now it's even more different. And again, the question really are, first of all, could the virus be on food, right? Okay, that's the first question, and probably probably not very high. But if it is there, how long does it survive? And then if it is in food, and if it is on food, and we do ingest that food, what's the potential then for the virus to find a cell 
in our body with the right receptor, right, which we know lung cells and nasal passage cells have this right receptor, the ACE2 receptor the virus can bind to. There's evidence that the esophagus has this ACE2 receptor. There's evidence that the GI tract has this ACE2 receptor. But the question is, they've got to have the receptor. Then in that environment, can the virus bind to the receptor? And then can it basically get inside the cell from there? And the short answer is we don't know. The, the longer answer is we don't have any evidence of disease transmission by food which would look more like a food poisoning outbreak, right? It would it would look like a bunch of people ate the same like food. And, yeah, and then a couple of days later, they all got COVID-19. Right. As far, but again, this is why we need more comprehensive testing and tracing <laughs> of people that get sick so we could figure this stuff out. But again, right now, even in countries that are doing, let's say, a better job than us at doing that, no, the patterns still look like person-to-person transmission. So that was a really long answer to the question, but this is what I think about these No, days. no, I get it. I mean, that's all... It's- Feels like half my day is wondering about these things, just because I I'm, I don't want to be an ignorant person about what's happening. Because I will post places and people will say dumb things, but I don't want to just retaliate. I want to have facts behind it. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, you two remember when we did our quarantine specials that one day that both of you were like super hysterical about <laughs> food, and I yeah. was like, look, 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 guys, I have this data. Here's my source right here. It was Dr. Don. So he had a yeah. very excellent tweet thread, and I believe we talked about it, and I posted yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I said, yep. fear not. Yeah. Yes. And I also told you guys that this virus does more damage than just get people sick, and I was right about that. Yes, you were. Jesus. And, and, yes. Okay, yes, you we get it, you guys. <laughs> well, but now, now we know it's because it's vascular. Before, we didn't really know. We just knew that it was causing long-term damage to lungs and things like that, so we thought it might be just lungs, but now it's because we... I believe we're learning that it's a vascular attack. So, so, Dr. Don, how long can this virus live on stuff? If you're saying person to person, like their hand, or, or are you saying you have to inhale it like it doesn't live on anything? So a couple, couple interesting points there. So how long does it live is not the right question. It's the question that Damn everybody it. asks, right? But <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. You're, you're, you're in good company with, with everybody. So I, this is a podcast, so you can't see what I'm doing with my <laughs> hands, right? But, but I'm going to do some hand gestures here. So the first question is, what's the starting concentration? Is it up here? And what would the concentration be? And there are estimates out there that when somebody sneezes or coughs, that they're going to generate something like 10 to the fourth or 10 to the fifth, right? So that's one followed by four zeros or five zeros of virus particles. Let's assume that they all land on a surface, right? And that surface then is contaminated with uh, 10,000 or 100,000 virus particles. Now, what happens is as soon as those virus particles land on that surface, they immediately start dying or if it's the virus is not alive, so we can say becoming inactive, right? Or non-infectious. And the best estimates indicate that the half-life of the virus is about seven hours. So in other words, after seven hours, half of the virus particles are not infectious. After another seven hours, another half of that half, right? So it goes from 100% to 50% to 25% to 12.5%, et cetera, et cetera. Now, eventually, you reach the detection limit of the assay. And so that determines the time, right? What's the starting value? What's the rate of decline? And then what's the detection limit of your assay? And based on experiments that have been done with typical levels, 
we were able to estimate that it depends on which surface, but then you get into complicated things like, well, was it on the surface, but you just couldn't fish it out because it was entrapped in the cardboard versus, you know, a, a stainless steel surface or a plastic surface where it's easier to get the virus out. But based on those experiments, it lasts about three days. But the important thing to keep in mind is that, yes, it'll last for three days, but at time zero, it's way more infectious than at three days, right? Because the concentration is going down in this exponential manner. And then the other thing that you have to say, well, okay, so now it's on the surface. What's the risk to me? If I'm holding up a little piece of stainless steel with the virus on it under under my nose or in front of my face, there's no real risk to me there because the virus is not going to jump off of that surface. Now, if I take my finger and I, I rub it on the surface, and then I decide I'm going to go pick a booger, right? Well, now, now maybe I, I, I've inoculated myself, right? Or I stick my finger in my mouth, and I swish it around, and maybe it, it, it attaches to something in my mouth. Again, this leads us down the digression about food again. But, but those are the kind of things that we have to think about when we're thinking about, like, what's the risk? And so I've been saying from the very beginning, I think the risk from food is quite low. The risk from food packaging is quite low. My Twitter claim to fame, my, my tweet thread that quote-unquote went viral – was a, a takedown of this bizarre YouTube video from this uh, mm-hmm. family medical doctor in uh, Michigan that was giving you this you know complicated procedure for how you had to bring groceries home and right. disinfect them and and then people were saying do you need to spray down your takeout with Lysol before you bring it into the house and I'm like no you know bring it into your house take the packaging off if you're worried about the virus being there wash your hands right and guess what if you're about to eat takeout it's a really good idea to wash your hands or use hand sanitizer anyway right because that's just a thing you should do before you eat because it's just sanitary right so anyway that's that's kind of my hot take on all of that yeah i felt susceptible to that (laughs) stupid (laughs) oh i gotta gotta wipe down surfaces and then when i learned like it's not gonna do any good like you fell for that that but you didn't go for the light therapy Mm. no i've (laughs) i've injected light by standing outside so that kind of you injected it yeah well naked but it's still the same thing maybe do this so all right so here's here's what i've been doing today i've got all this gear behind me i'm getting ready to go to camp next week and that is a concerning to me you know i mean they have got a huge amount of safety precautions and things going that as we're packing and getting ready i still am thinking all about transmission and stuff like that but the one thing that i'm thankful for that i would have had it not been this way i would have been nope we're all staying home was that they shut down the dining hall because that already was the most disgusting place ever (laughs) just uh on in a regular summer sitting there and rubbing sweaty backs against each other as you eat this horrible food but they're going to be bringing prepackaged meals to the campsite so that should also be interesting to uh, witness from its own food safety standpoint. Is it out is it outdoor dining? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll have a golf cart or something and we'll, and we'll be like here's your big tray of food. Mm. <laughs> what state what state is it so, in? Is it Missouri? Uh, yes, it's in Missouri. I don't know if that's a hot hotbed or not. I don't necessarily know that it is. I know that the county that it's in is not, but that doesn't mean that we're not all coming from counties where they are. As you know, Jeremy, the laws of nature abide by our <laughs> by boundaries. <laughs> I yes, I'm, I'm I'm very aware of that. If I blow wind across the state, it's not going to go because there's a boundary there. It stops. It's kind of like under the dome. I don't know that people know this. You can see it's right there on the map. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, I've walked across a border. I've seen a big, thick line. That's. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it was a road. I don't. I'm not going to get into that kind of. 
debate, but you know that was a border. God yelled at me to yeah. get off. So oh. I will have lots of things to report here yeah. in a couple of weeks as far as really interesting things that I saw. Did I tell you guys I got summons Again? for jury duty? Again? Jesus. I yes. want it so bad. <laughs> and they sent a letter about everyone. Like, we know that everyone's really concerned about the pandemic. So we're doing what we can to take precautions. Here was the precautions. We're going to have hand sanitizer. <laughs> And they were going to take temperatures. And I'm like, that's it? They're like, well, yeah, you can wear a mask if you want. I'm like, yes, very much so. <laughs> I would very much well, like that. Here, but here's the thing. you It's like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll wear a mask. What I want is mm-hmm. other people wearing the yes. mask, right? That's going to protect there, me. No requirement. Yeah. So that means oh, like, what God. if someone's in there not wearing it, then I don't want to be there mm-hmm. for hours no. and hours and hours for no money, no really? Way. So that's what I, I yeah. sent a very long email back to them being like, okay, first – Having those safety precautions is fine. You should have a lot more in place as a conjunction. Like hand sanitizer, fine. Uh, temperature check, eh, it's fine. I mean, if someone's asymptomatic, they're not going to have a fever, so what's it matter? And then, like, but not requiring masks makes no sense when we're going to be indoors. Like, they're like, we're going to be six yeah. feet apart. Yeah. I'm like, it doesn't matter. We're going to be in there for like eight hours. Six feet apart will not matter. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the choir thing all over again, but just Correct. with a little exactly. bit extra space. But yeah, you're exactly right. And we're in a county that's exploding. We're in the red zone in this county. Oh, that well, in. certainly. Oof. So, so they, so they let me, I'm sure the judge looked at it I'm like, this guy's going to be paying the ass. <laughs> if comes. Like, yeah. Throw him out now. Blood ear out. How many, out. Is that like the fourth time now? You know, they keep bugging me. Be, I've never been asked <laughs> once. I feel bad because I want to do it, but they've asked twice during this pandemic. I'm like, fuck no. <laughs> Knock it off because this area, I live in a really redneck area, sorry to say, not to be racist. No, I don't think that's probably true. I can't Jesus. be racist against a redneck. Uh, racist that against racist. There's a lot. Of, I'll just say this, that I do see cars driving around with Confederate yeah, flags. Right. So I don't exactly have faith that not requiring masks means that people are going to wear masks. Yes, yeah, yeah, so. do the right thing. My, if I had to bet, I'd bet mm-hmm. most of them won't be. Yeah, yeah. I go to the grocery store, so we have like three Krogers within about four miles, and ours is about forty percent of people wearing masks. I go two miles down the road; it's about sixty, and then I go five miles, where it's a much nicer area. I don't know why this is; it's about ninety or so percent of people wearing masks, and I can't quite figure out. Because well, demographically, it, it, they're not that much different. The income's a little hmm. different, but like it's still all white people for the most part. So it's, and they're all rich white people. So it's mostly Trump country. So I've kind of well, but I was going to say if they're if they're rich and they're college educated, you know, maybe they're yeah, more that could be likely it. to understand it. It's, it's to me, it's just a weird a demographic thing that goes against. Because I get in our area, I completely understand why people are not because it's Trump country and they're going to listen to him and. He says they're dumb, so they're going to think it's dumb. Well, yeah, but I've been reading a lot of articles that exactly kind of where Dr. Don is getting at is that college-educated Republicans are far, far greater in an overwhelming majority to not listen to that advice and go, you're being stupid. I'm going to wear a mask. There is evidence to support that. So you're going to do it. You're going to go camping. You're going to... Yeah, I'm I'm going to do it. I mean, I'm... How long is it's, it? It's eight days, which it's normally 10 days. That's long. Where's the bath situation? What's that like? Normally, the bathhouses, there's only like three or four showers Ooh. in each. But they have brought in, have you ever seen like at music festivals and stuff like those shower trucks? trucks? Yeah. They brought in two of those per camp 
and staff to sanitize those and, and all of that. So, you know, that'll be pretty good. I imagine that I will probably still be sponge bathing myself in my tent because I don't know that I want to go get a shower. <laughs> yeah, what's the spread like through, just to be blunt, oh. the fecal matter? Is that an issue? Because you're going to have porta potties too, right? We have uh, latrines, big dump hole latrines. Oh, okay. That's disgusting. So, Oh, oh yeah, it's it's terrible. It's it's always terrible. Um the good news that I thought about last night was that there is going to be less than half the normal amount of people that would be there anyway. So normally we have about 600 people per camp session. I think we're going to have about 250. That so is we're lot. going we're going to have we're going to have 12 people in a campsite that's made for 40 so we'll definitely be spread out and our latrine will not be as nasty as normal however i've got a lot of sanitizing supplies you know we're always required to clean up our own latrines and stuff like that but we've got everything that we need to keep it super duper soup de dupes clean well and the other good thing is that you're outdoors right and again there's not hard scientific evidence but there's a lot of sort of anecdotal evidence that the risks from being outside are much less right look at just look at the the protests right a lot of people protesting all outside mostly wearing masks some of them shouting some not wearing masks but again not a ton of covid-19 yeah. cases from those and so i think and again you're not marching around right. and shouting i i don't I mean maybe that's the way you do camping probably it's not the way i do camping, but uh shout camping. only certain yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're only only in the winter to keep warm. We're all being issued the spandex buffs, so we will have masks that we are required to wear whenever we go into large groups. Okay, let me ask you this. How are they going to have their names on them? I have a big Sharpie sitting right here on my desk. We'll make sure that they I do. I need to know that these children understand the risk. You know what I mean? I think they understand the risk a whole hell of a lot more than adults do. Are they going to wash their honest. hands? Is there running water? Oh, yeah. There is running water. I have a filter to filter the water for drinking. They can't use the same glass. No. Okay, great. Good. <laughs> they have their own individual bottles. And since we're not doing dining hall, which our normal procedure would be to have our own mess kits, but they have said, don't even don't even bring mess kits. Just bring single-use items. So it's it's paper plates and plastic silverware, you know, and everything so that it just gets thrown away. Which, you know, again, not usually the scouty way to be because of environmental issues and, and so on and so forth. However, it's far better to be safe than to be thrifty and or environmentally conscious <laughs> oh. during this time. So this, yeah, this is a boy scout camp. camp. Boy scout camp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. awesome. Cool. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I spent uh, many, many summers without a pandemic, but many summers uh, going camping with my kids and the scouts. So yeah. Are you going to awesome. do the traditional cool. lick your neighbor's eye or is that out? <laughs> well, that, that's the... part of the initiation for the uh, group. And yeah, you know, I think they're going to have to switch the eye licking with something a little more appropriate this year, but uh, you're going to, the traditionalists are going to get, well, <laughs> you know, they've always got something to be mad about. We're bringing girls along this year. So. Oh, really? Oh. Well, before we get to that, I have to ask our guest a question. What about all this? You have to use plastic utensils and throw them away. I mean, is that shit's not going to make it through the dishwasher? Yeah, I, I think that that's a relatively 
I mean, here's the thing. Like we don't, the problem is if you don't know what you do is you just implement every risk reduction mm-hmm. feature you can think of. Right. But yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I, again, what I worry about, and there was a graphic going around that actually somebody I follow on Twitter t- did a really nice uh, takedown of, which is basically this risky activities from one to 10. It's like, well, oh, I saw risk that. doesn't really go from one to 10. It really goes from like one to like one mm-hmm. in a, one million, right? And so really that's what we should be focusing on. And I worry so much. People are like, oh my God, we've got to use plastic utensils. <laughs> <laughs> right and coughing like no no like like please let's let's think about this like a virus right like it's mostly person to person right so that means number one stay away from people step one if you can't stay away from people wear a mask right and then kind of lower down the hierarchy for everything else is wash your hands use hand sanitizer avoid comment like high touch points right like one of the first things that they did for grocery stores around me was get rid of the hot bar and the cold bar right where everybody's touching the same handle of the same spoon. Again, what's the likelihood of risk from that? Well, again, I I would say we think pretty low, but again, we didn't know a lot of this stuff at the beginning, right? And even now, the evidence is not super clear. But yeah, and in the grand scheme of things, yeah, it's all all risk-risk trade-offs, right? It's like, well, okay, so we're going to now create more plastic waste because we don't think that, you know, we, we think that we you might get the virus from touching a spoon that somebody else touched that didn't get washed right in the dishwasher, right? Well, that's probably pretty minimal, but... Again, the main thing is stay away from people, and if you can't, wear a mask. And then everything else just sort of is way, way down on the I would say that the plate issue at camp is less of a COVID-19 precaution than it is a long-term food safety and health precaution, because I can tell you that even though that I know that the kids are pretty astute on hand-washing and all of those things, from experience, the dishwashing portion at scout camp even though they wash the dishes that's probably the low point and even though uh tub one is soapy water that has just been boiled your likelihood of having a clean plate at the very end is much more minimal so i i think that that's probably a little bit more where that's coming from i would guess more word talking so, 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 Jeremy, if you're a scouter, you maybe this will you can nerd out over this. So, okay. do you know what wood? Do you know what wood badge is? <laughs> do I know what wood badge? Is? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I I am currently staffing my fifth course. So, <laughs> oh well, I, I bow down, sir. I yeah. <laughs> I've never I've never been on staff, but my wood badge ticket was to develop a, a sanitation program for summer camp with washing dishes and training. Well, the scouts so so you know as well as I, I do that that is a place where things fall very very <laughs> short. That's awesome. That's a great ticket item. So, is it like belting essentially? Like you have levels of of wood? Yeah, like karate. Yeah. Yes, it's all about how many pieces of wood you can break. <laughs> many pieces of, so many times. so i don't know if you guys know this i will tell you this like like just and i've never met jeremy although we're friends online this guy is like hugely into this the scouting nerd oh, culture yeah. right like i don't know if you knew this no. about him i can this tell you just from this us. limited interaction right yeah he's he's super he's super in, su- oh, yeah. in super they never knew this stuff, they never so. knew it at all <laughs> no they never knew yeah <laughs> you've been out well you know it's 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 funny joy if you remember from the shakes the time that we had john roderick on and we talked about kicking holes yes, in the I dirt do remember with that. a boot okay that was the week before i went Wood badge ah, fight. That was your first, and this is your last. Cool. That was my first, and oh my this god, is my I've been last. here for all of it. So you go. You've been here. For what do you mean, go it? to Wood Badge? You mean like a festival? <laughs> of course, it's a, music it's a course. It is a training course for adults. 
to get the badge you mean like uh, it's a set of uh, wooden beads on a leather thong it's a, it's a very unassuming thing <laughs> but uh, but but yeah i mean it's really is a lot of stuff that you probably have gotten in management training and corporate yeah, things i just you looked know. it up it's like project leadership yeah and, project management yeah. and conflict yeah. resolution and uh so you're going to become a pm diversity uh, oh yeah i mean you know i can i can teach you anything about diversity and inclusion and project management and Conflict so what you call a, change management, et cetera, et cetera. So so it's like a scrum master. It's, but you're yeah, just, but uh, at the end you get some wooden beads. I like that. Yeah, I would much prefer that than calling myself a scrum master. I would rather be the the king of wood or king something like wood. that. Yeah. And then you get to say what critter you are. Oh, so Jeremy, what critter? Oh, uh, yeah, you who are. decides what critter you are. Well, the staff, the staff. The okay. staff. No, there's, there's a, there's a highly scientific method. Oh, this is exciting. Is it, is it a little bit like his dark materials? Like you just get. <laughs> it's more like a sorting hat. Yeah, it's more sorting like it's more yeah. like a, a Hogwarts type of thing where you kind of get a feel. Now, you know, there truly are some variables to it. If you have more than one person coming from a, a troop or a group or a pack or whatever, you don't want them to be together in the same group or anything like that. But since we teach diversity and inclusion, we try to have as much age diversity. We try to have professional diversity, age diversity, gender diversity, race diversity, as much as we possibly can throughout each group or patrol that takes the course. And so there, yeah, there's some science to it, but not a ton. Is it is it any animal or only? No, there there like are there are eight. Beavers. Nope, there are eight. It's beaver, bobwhite, eagle, <laughs> fox, owl, bear, buffalo, antelope. Eagle? Where did eagle? Where did eagle come from? Everything else is a land animal. Why not like trout? I don't like, know. Where's wow, the? There's owl. The, there's owl. The, the, there's the, owl. Yeah, the fish, the fowl, the beasts. You Look, know. man, these have been around for more than a hundred years. Nazis. I cannot. Time to change. You're allowing women. It's now time to add some animals. Yeah, we need to get back to that. But first, what are the sleeping arrangements? (laughs) (laughs) What are the sleeping arrangements at this joint? So girls want to be Boy Scouts. Yeah, and they have been for a couple of years now. They've had girls in the venturing program for uh, a long time. And they're just, did they not go last year? Yeah, for our troop, we did not have a girls troop this time last year, they didn't form until November. Wait, a girls' so troop, so you were, don't, you still don't let them in with the boys. It's complicated. No, it's not. The the, the well, oh, it, it actually yeah. is very complicated. <laughs> you ever been around teenagers? It is actually very complicated. The way that it is supposed to work is that there is a boys' troop and there is a girls' troop. Now, boys' troops and girls' troops can do activities together. They can meet together. They can do all those things. But for some reason, somebody high up in the organization thought that everything would be a lot more palatable if. Organizationally speaking, they were registered separately. Now, I can tell you, our girls, they all go on the same campouts. They all do the same things. Now, our boys and girls groups meet on different nights, but not because we're being exclusionary. It's because one of the girls has dance on Monday nights, or at least did before the the pandemic, and so they wanted to meet on Tuesdays instead. Otherwise, This is exactly why we never wanted girls in the first place, right? Fucking dance on Monday. (laughs) But then it gets complicated, right? Because if you have a venture crew, a venture crew can be co-ed. Yes, a venturing crew can be co-ed. And once it comes up to the age of 14, they can all co-mingle in this other type of group, and there's not a problem with it. So I, you know, 
the whole issue of, of girls being in scout troops has only happened for about a year or two. I'd say within another three years, it's not even going to be an issue. Every, you know, everybody can meet together and it'll be all because because the Boy Scouts. Are <laughs> well, be yes, I mean, they, it, well, and that's absolutely true. They will be bankrupt and, and they'll just everything will fly out the window and they'll do whatever they can to retain uh, membership. Uh, I guarantee that for sure. Hey, so so one. Can I just ask one oh, more yeah, nerdy yeah, scout yeah. question? And then I promise I won't I won't egg this on any further. Have you I been have to driven Philmont? through Philmont <laughs> when I was young. I've never been on a trek, but it's something on my list. I did go to the World Scout Jamboree last year, but I did that as part of my work. Yeah, cool, cool. So so I I have been, and and I've got two. I'm proud 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 father of uh, two two eagle scouts my, my both of my sons will tell you more than making eagle the highlight of their scouting experience was going to Philmont. so um yeah not i've got a book of scouty stuff like it's a picture book and like you know oh here are some old uniforms and a canteen and blah blah so there was a picture of Philmont, and so for paul and joy one of the things that you get to do once you've done this hundred mile hike in New Mexico is there's a wooden gate that you cross through when you enter and you exit. And a lot of people will take their hiking boots off because a, they're wrecked and they'll never be able to use them again. And they tie this shoestrings together and they throw them up onto the deal. So, you know, so you'll just have all these hiking boots hanging from this gate. So Hayden, who was almost three at the time, we were just looking at this book together and, and he saw they, Oh, what that? I was like, oh, that's Philmont. You know, you go on a big, long hike. And he's like, I want to throw my shoes over the board. And so (laughs) at that moment, A, my heart melted. I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, yes, I promise you we will go throw our shoes over the board. So someday. You will litter as well. Yeah, I've got another six years before he's old enough to go. But we'll see. Yeah. Well, this is why my motto has always been just don't do anything it's just easier not to have yeah. scheduling conflicts <laughs> it's true that is true dr don have you thrown your shoes i did not i might have thrown out the shoes <laughs> that i hiked philmont in because it was more than 10 years ago and i have to say i was active while my sons were active i was active in the district and in the council with leadership positions and then basically just said you know I got other things I need to do, so I'm. I, I sort of gradually edged my way out, and I don't. I don't do. I don't do. Can we, do, oh, yeah, can we curse on this podcast? Yes. I, we don't, I don't do shit yeah. anymore. Yeah. So. I, I'm in the same boat. Like my kids. No, I, my kids are 21 and 19 and and yep. 11. But I'm just done. I'm just so tired. You're, you're not interested in giving giving your 11 year old any sort of opportunities. Like no, I feel so bad for him. He's getting the worst of us as parents. We're just like we're like. Should we make him do something? Oh, like yeah. we can, but. We have it takes to do a lot it of effort. Too. Yeah. Oh, I'm not good at segues, but how about we talk about <laughs> the corner? <laughs> not good. I think you just did it. <laughs> Media Corner. We should probably talk about something that I think everyone oh, might have Oh, I watched. haven't seen it, whatever it is. But you can still talk about it. it what is it, Hamilton? You've never no. seen Hamilton ever? I you know listen a guy to the music? with the name. You know Hamilton. a guy with a name? Yeah. You mean Hamilton? That's, yes, but did you listen? Have you ever listened like to the music? No. Oh, oh, okay, no. okay. Well, I I have to say that I had never listened to the music either until I watched. Me the neither. Movie. Same here. Oh, that, I see. I when Merlin was going on and on about it, I did buy it and listen to it, and so I did know the music. And then we also actually, through a sort of a series of coincidences, we had a, a chance to go and see it in New York. Ooh. So I've actually seen oh, wow. it, um, which was a lot of fun. It was actually mostly was fun because. 
I hooked up with a bunch of friends, people that I went to college with that I hadn't seen in years and years and years. Uh, and actually, that was more fun than going to see Hamilton, was actually getting to hang out with those people. But, oh, yeah. but uh, we also saw Hamilton, which was great. But but yeah, it's quite an experience. I, I have to say, I will admit here publicly no. that it made me cry. Just the music made yeah, me the, cry. In, the in-person experience, you mean? No, no, just listening to it on my oh, stupid wow. phone, walking the dog, huh. walking down the street, and I'm crying because I'm a Well, wimp. you know, <laughs> I will say that the Hamilton rabbit hole was one of the few rabbit holes that I have never followed Merlin down. But after watching the movie, I felt a deep regret that I never did because it's fantastic music. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it does. It's very powerful. Eight musicals, so... Exactly, and that's why I didn't follow down the... I've liked one musical, and I've seen a bunch. I used to live in, uh, not too far from me, Dr. Don. I grew up in uh, Philly area, Wilmington, Delaware, actually. Hmm. So the opportunity to see musicals out in that area is insane, because you can go to Philly or New York or down to Baltimore, D.C., or, you know, there's just ample opportunity to see stuff. So I saw everything on Broadway, because I was dragged to it. I saw Phantom, I saw Les Mis, I saw Cats, which is the worst musical in the world. All sorts of stuff. So <laughs> The movie was pretty good, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I just, I just dislike them. I don't like musicals on TV. I don't like them in movies. I just hate it. So I went in this knowing that, knowing, like, I don't like musicals, so I have to be objective about it as a creative piece. And going in with that in mind, I found it, one, really overwhelming. There is so much happening that i know i missed 70 percent of it because i'm like well and it and it's a musical right like it's all music like my, my son watched it for the first time and he's like they just it's all singing yeah and yeah, fast it's actually all really singing. fast like they're saying yeah, so yeah. much and leslie olden jr is so fast i'm like i can't i can't keep up with what he's saying <laughs> so we had we even had the captions on which helped a lot to read but not just in words, but in action. There's so much happening because coming from the creative field, like I know that there's nothing that he isn't doing on purpose. I knew that much, and that's typically driven. Like I, there's stuff happening that I couldn't see on camera, which annoyed me because I wanted to be able to look somewhere and I couldn't because the camera was forcing me to. So that annoyed me a little bit, but it was just so chock full. I think I was more overwhelmed than I was entertained. <laughs> so I probably will have to watch it again. Like I knew there was stuff happening with the people picking up chairs and moving around. Like they're all doing something for a reason, and I can't see it. And it, it it, it made me annoyed sometimes because I like I understand they're singing, but I could I know that he had certain people like I when I got confused about why some people reused. I didn't know that was happening. I'm like, wait, wasn't he that person? And now he's yeah. this person. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of things that I wish I had. Well, known tell me what is that, that about? What if, tell me about it so that I can get. It's who who is the one that plays two characters? Lafayette a and that Thomas Jefferson. There's yeah, there are a couple of yes. people yep. that that recycle. Well, it's because the, the Lafayette is only in the first act and Jefferson's only in the second, I right? See. So it gives the guy something to do. <laughs> yeah. He's great, though. I love him. In every case where somebody gets recycled, it's because of that. It's something, they're one thing in, in the first half and then something else in the second half. It's, so it's it's not super confusing where you're like, oh, wait, hold on. But there's even background character. Well, one, one thing I noticed that I heard things, something that became a bit of a rabbit hole for me was who played King George? Jonathan Goff. Jonathan Goff's drooling. Like, I looked that up. Oh, my God. Yes, it's so it gross. Is. Apparently, but, it's a thing that he does when he's on stage. But 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 I have to tell you, since since Ooh. I watched that, every morning I wake up and his, <laughs> his song is I stuck know. in my head. Not any of the other ones. You'll be back. Yeah, goddamn right I will, you asshole. Yeah. It's, a great, it's a great song. <laughs> After that first song, I was like, why did that not become the popular song that came out of this? I think it was his performance is so good too. 
Like it was yeah. a really he's just so so much spittle, so much <laughs> like <laughs> he's very wet. He's very wet. He's so moist. He's a very wet boy. Oh, <laughs> moist. <laughs> Again, I hate musicals. So I was the only one that I've loved is Book of Mormon. At the end, when he was doing the perfect recap of every song that he sang right before he died, just completely blew me away. He did those little just cues from everything. It was brilliant. Brilliant. Are you going to watch it yeah. again, Paul? There's a lot of. I probably will. Yeah, it's long. It's two and a half hours long, and that intermission was bullshit. Come on, <laughs> a minute. You can pause what? your TV. They give you minutes. Well, I did. Uh, yeah, I you, I didn't have enough time to get up for a drink. But it it, it was fun if, because it reminded me of the olden days when we didn't have DVRs and like where you had to go to the, run to the bathroom during a commercial. So I'm like, I'm gonna see what I can do. <laughs> that didn't. You know, I know you don't like musicals, as you said several <laughs> yes, times. Let it be known. If you want another really long musical that's also Revolutionary War themed, I felt so proud of myself. On July 4th, I did my taxes and I watched 1776, which I, I mean, Hamilton's great and it's for the kids now. It's modern, but there's always a place in my heart for 1776. It's a lot of fun. It really is. I, I try to watch it every year. If I Your can. own little July 4th tradition. Yeah, I wonder how many people watched Hamilton on 4th of July, because that's what we did. We watched it on 4th of July. We tried, but we, we didn't get around to it. You tried? How could you fail? Uh, we, it, we, busy we, yeah, busy day. We ended up watching, oh, uh, we ended up watching something else instead. Was it was it was it Space Force? Uh, no, it was not. I don't even remember what it was. We were down in Oklahoma, and it was whatever it was that oh. was on at my dad's house. So it was Fox News. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Dad's TV has got the MSNBC logo burned into the oh, bottom corner. Okay, it's yeah. There you it's, go. It's something. So. <sighs> What is this? Uh, Ger- what? What? Guernsey Literary the Ger- and Potato Peel. Is that, uh, is that uh, Mulaney? This is something that <laughs> was foisted upon me a little bit. It was almost like getting hit with a uh, sock full of quarters. That's not a good thing. My wife said, I want to show you one of my favorite films. And all of a sudden it started playing. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this. But I have to say, at, by the time it was over, I... Really, really loved it. I don't know that I would categorize it as a romance film. However, it definitely, I'm sure that's probably why my wife ever watched it because she seems to watch all the Hallmark and Lifetime and uh, she just like, she watches just anything like in the background. This was definitely one of those things, but it was set right after World War II and the entire film revolves around the Nazi occupation of Guernsey Island in the United Kingdom and this British journalist, she got a letter because somebody over in Guernsey Island had a book that used to belong to her and they created this Guernsey literary and potato peel pie society as a knee jerk cover up when they were out and about past curfew and the Nazis caught them. And they said, well, but you know, we, we're a book club because you guys are encouraging us to have culture and all that stuff. So we're a book club. We're fine. It's okay that we're out. And he's like, oh, well, what is the name of your club? And because they have this registered list of clubs and they said Guernsey literary potato and they said, well, it's not on the list. Okay. Well, we'll go make sure that we register tomorrow and all that. As I continue to explain, I'm just going, oh, God, this is going to get more convoluted (laughs) and more. And so there's really no way to explain it. There's just no there is a mystery of what happened to somebody. There's a mystery of who someone is. There's a mystery of the traveling pants. And what is potato peel pie? So. Sounds and and honestly, I mean, you know, it's Jeremy's wife's favorite movie. Yeah. So just go watch but it. But it's new. It's like two years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty new. But you know what? It's a good movie. 
So it's not like the apple dumpling gang. Cause that's immediately. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know that's exactly right. what this sounds like. It sounds, yes, it sounds like it should be like hot feet, so, you know, hot lead. Just so I'm not looking for a fun romp of a young kid. Yeah. It's a, not heavy, but it's not a fun romp. The lead actor, I was pretty sure was in Game of Thrones doing something or other. I'm pretty sure he died. One of the other leading actresses was the manager on IT crowd. Uh, you remember her? Oh. Who she so she was down in the basement with with Jen? yeah yeah Jen so yeah Jen yeah so Jen? so Jen's in this movie I can't remember her name but yeah, yeah. Oh, okay so it's it's good it's yeah it was it was a surprise it was a surprise pick for me but but yeah I it's it's worth it's worth your time oh Lily James she was in Baby Driver oh, okay 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 okay. Is this on Netflix? It's on Netflix. It is a it is a, it is a, it is a Netflix it. original. <laughs> if I'm not going to watch a music, well, I did watch a musical. Maybe I will watch this. What else am I going to do? I don't do things. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. What? Yeah. What uh, else are you going to do? You might as well watch some. I just, I just spiraled myself from refusing to watch it to like I'll probably watch this. Well, that's all she wrote. 